If you could please turn in your Bibles to Luke 11. We get to start in verse 37. Today we get to talk about religious hypocrisy. For those of you who haven't been around here before, the way that we do things is we just walk right through a book, and we've been going through the book of Luke for, well, forever, because um, it's a big book, and we're going to continue there for a while. And today we're not quite in the middle of it. We're in chapter 11, and Jesus has been talking and riling people up like Jesus does. He's been laying a pretty hard line like he does. And he's gotten the attention of some folks. And today we get to talk about um, Jesus' conversation with some Pharisees. He's going to call them out about externalism and religious hypocrisy. So before we get going here and before we get to the fun part, let's get to the boring part. Definition. What does hypocrisy mean? The actual definition of hypocrisy is the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. It's a a pretense, putting on a mask. If you trace it back, the word originally goes back, it means actor. It's somebody who, back at the time, would literally hold up masks over their faces and act out plays. That's where we get the word. Somebody who pretends to be something they're not is something we look at. But it's also somebody whose claims to be, whose actions just don't match what they claim to be, even if they actually are that. So we'll, we'll use an example here to kind of illustrate that point. Who remembers, I don't know, some of you are kind of young, some of you will probably remember, back in the 80s there was this commercial, and it was a guy that came up and he said, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. And then he goes on to try to sell you some medicine, right? Because, great, I, you're, you're totally qualified in my book, right? You, you play a doctor on TV, therefore I should listen to you sell me Vicks Formula 44, I believe is what it was he was trying to sell. Here's a guy who had no qualifications to try to do what he was doing. But that's not exactly what this is talking about. We're not talking about somebody who maybe puts on a doctor's uniform and then goes in and tries to perform surgery. What if somebody is actually qualified for the position that they claim to be, but they're not executing the tasks that they are supposed to be executing? We're going to use a a very silly example, silly example of a made-up doctor, Dr. Joe. And while we do this, I'm going to ask you to keep keep something in mind. I don't know if many of you have ever had a job before. Um, I've had several. And sometimes when you go to a job, the first thing that they do is they give you an employee handbook, right? They give you a handbook that goes through and it tells you all about what's required of all employees at an organization. This will be things like maybe there's a, a dress code. All employees must dress a certain way. I worked for a company that had a clean desk policy, meaning that you had to keep your desk clean. That was something that all employees had to do. Well, the employee handbook is not the same as the job description. Right? The employee handbook is something that all people must do. These are rules and regulations that all employees must do. But there are job descriptions that say specifically what are you supposed to do. Like a doctor, for example, may have a code of conduct, a way that he is supposed to hold himself. He's got to sign papers. He's got to go through this big employee handbook when he gets hired on at a practice and agree to certain things. Code of conduct, dress code. Maybe he does have a clean desk policy, something that he's supposed to do. But that's different than his job description, which is probably going to include things like seeing patients, performing some sort of procedures, these sorts of things. What happens if our doctor here, Dr. Joe, goes and starts his first day? He's actually graduated from medical school. He's top of his class, and he's really excited about being a doctor. So he comes on, Dr. Joe, and he goes into this really big kind of international practice. 
At his practice, Dr. Joe walks in on his first day, and he's got an office, you know, with a desk and a computer and all of that sort of stuff. And all of the other doctors have offices as well. It looks like an office environment. He sits down at his desk. First thing they do is the first thing that they did with pretty much every job I ever started is grab this big old employee handbook, pop it in front of him and say, read all this stuff, sign 15 pages, sign your life away, agreeing to all of these things. So he takes this very seriously. He's excited and he goes through and he reads the clean desk policy, he reads the dress policy, he reads all of this sort of stuff. And not only as he goes through his career does he read this stuff, he takes it very seriously and focuses on making sure that he adheres to every aspect of this employee handbook. Well now, since we're gonna be silly here, let's imagine that the doctors, because they're kind of a uptight group, realize that they deal with patients and therefore cleanliness is important. So we're going to take what's in the handbook and we're gonna raise the bar a little bit. We're gonna come up with a couple of other rules, some other things that we just kind of agree upon in the office. You know, when we go into a procedure, it's important to be sterile. And it's important, you know, if I'm gonna operate on somebody, I've gotta have a sterile, envir sterile environment. Well, it'll be easier to maintain that if we make all of our offices sterile as well. So our offices are not gonna, I don't know how this works, you're gonna walk around you know, typing, I don't know what, how that works, but we're gonna do that. We're gonna agree that all of the desks may be, must be laid out in the exact same formation, so in case some doctor needs something, they can go into somebody else's office for whatever reason and, and grab it. They know where everything is. They come up with all these silly rules above and beyond what's in the employee handbook. So Dr. Joe, does this, he starts, he's there for a while and he conforms to all of these things and then he also starts teaching other new doctors that come on these same sorts of rules. This is how we behave. But then they realize that it's kind of difficult, these doctors, to, to keep these sterile environments because you know when they go into the actual examination rooms, which are also supposed to be sterile, they've got this problem of people are coming in off the streets who are contaminated, they're dirty. I can't maintain the sterility of my examination rooms if I've got these patients that are constantly coming in and messing up my environment. They're, they're dirty, I can't have that. So what they do is they stop actually bringing patients in, because that's inconvenient. They're dirty, they're messy, they mess up my environment. And the handbook clearly says that we've got certain rules, and you know, of course we've also got these traditions that we've added. Well now imagine that this Gentlemen, our Dr. Joe is also very happy to be a doctor, very proud to be a doctor, because there's a really good benefits package that comes with being a doctor. When you're a doctor at this particular firm, you get box seats at all the local games, and he loves that. He gets to go there, and the best thing about being a doctor, as everybody knows, is people have to call you doctor, right? So he's no longer just Joe, he's Dr. Joe. You ever had somebody like this? Hi, what's your name? Joe. Oh, that's Dr. Joe, please, Dr. Joe. So he's Dr. Joe, he gets box seats. They even have a space at the local restaurant reserved for him. So when he walks in, people go, oh, Dr. Joe, and sits down, right? This is awesome. So here we've got Dr. Joe going to the box seats, making everybody call him Dr. Joe. Hasn't seen patients in a really long time because patients are messy, but he follows the rules and the guidelines in that handbook and all the things they've agreed to, to the letter. He's very proud of that. Now imagine the president of this international company comes because he's noticed that not really making much money there, and he's wondering why. So he shows up, and he walks into Dr. Joe's office, and just pulls up a chair, sits down, says, Joe, let's talk. And Joe is kind of aghast. Dr. Joe says, you didn't sterilize yourself before you came into my office. 
what is the response of the head guy going to be? What? Are you serious? I didn't sterilize myself before I walked into your office. This is what you want to talk to me about. When was the last time you saw a patient? When was the last time you actually went out and did your job? It seems like a silly example, an over-the-top example, but this is actually exactly the type of situation that Jesus walked into with the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees were suffering from their own little disease, their own little disease called externalism. There are three things that Jesus is going to point out about this disease. First, they're distracted by details. They're focused on the minutia of the rules, and not even rules that are laid out in the actual manual, but rules that they had made up and decided upon amongst themselves. They were there glorifying themselves, loving all of the attention that they would get because of their position. And worst of all, in doing this, they were infecting others with this error. They were leading others astray. And Jesus is going to call them out on that. So let's get away from the silly example and actually get to some scripture. In Luke eleven thirty seven. Jesus had been talking and says, and now when he, Jesus had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. Now, we don't know this Pharisee, this religious leader, we don't know why the religious leader asked Jesus to have lunch with him. Was he trying to trap Jesus? Was he trying to lure him into something that would uh, give the Pharisee some ammunition? Or was he legitimately interested in what Jesus had to say? At this time, I think it's probably the latter. We don't really know. But he invited Jesus into his house, which opened him up to potential criticism. He was probably interested in what Jesus had to say. So Jesus walks in and just reclines down at the table. And the Pharisee is surprised at this. So Jesus reclines at the table. And the Pharisee, in verse 38, when he saw Jesus just reclining at the table, he was surprised that Jesus had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. The Jews at the time had many rules about ceremonial cleanliness. The Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders would wash their hands in a ceremonial fashion before they ate. This was not in the law. This was something that they had added through tradition over the years. It was not something that God had laid down. It was not written in the, in the books of Moses and the law, but they had added it. And they were surprised, this particular one was surprised, when Jesus didn't observe their tradition. Now, it doesn't say that he actually confronted Jesus on this, but in several other places we get to see where Jesus, knowing their thoughts, and this may have been one of those cases, Jesus takes this opportunity and addresses the issue. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but inside of you you are full of robbery and wickedness. So he makes the distinction between externalism, the mask that we sometimes put on, and the mask that the Pharisees were putting on, and the internal reality of our spiritual situation. He also has, in a similar conversation with some Pharisees later that's recorded in the book of Matthew, he uses the example, one of my favorites, where he likens them to whitewashed tombs. He said, you were like whitewashed tombs, pretty and beautiful on the outside, but inside full of dead man's bones and all uncleanliness. It's the same sort of thing here. In verse 40, he goes on and says, you foolish ones, did he who made the outside make, not make the inside also? But give that which is within as charity, and then all things will be clean for you. Remember that difference between the job description and the employee handbook. The employee handbook gives you all of the rules and the policies and the procedures. This is what they were focusing on and forgetting the job description, seeing the patients. 
James talks about this a little bit in his book, James 1.27. He gives us kind of a definition. It says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This reminds me a lot of what Jesus says of the sheep and the goats when he is standing in final judgment and separating people out. And the criteria he uses is very similar. He says, those on my right enter the kingdom of heaven that prepared for you from the foundation of the world for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. I had real physical needs and you came and you met them. This is what James is saying here as well. Visiting orphans, taking care of widows, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Well, the unstained by the world is the same concept that the Pharisees had kind of latched onto. They forgot about the first part, which is the job description, and latched onto the second part, which is the employee handbook. Second part, they latched onto in a very physical way. I'm going to keep myself physically unstained by the world. I'm not going to let those dirty people contaminate me. What Scripture calls us to is to be out in the world dealing with dirty people. And our goal there is not to keep ourselves from getting their physical filth all over us, but as we deal with people who are sick, who are in prison, who are naked, who are hungry, who are thirsty, we're going to be dealing with people who don't know Christ, who are embroiled in sin, and we're going to have to interact with them. Our job is to interact with them, to lead them to Christ, and to not allow their sin to defile us is what this talks about. But the Pharisees didn't get that. So Jesus is going to call out three things, three problems, three woes. And a woe is like a, it's like a curse. It's a strong, strong warning. It's very, very severe language that Jesus uses here. He's going to call out three things, distracted by details, glorifying self, and infecting others with errors. So let's look at the first woe that Jesus calls out being distracted by the details. So in, in the silly example of Dr. Joe, how was Dr. Joe distracted by details? He was focused on the good things of cleanliness, focused on the good things of following the employee handbook, but he substituted the employee handbook for his actual job of seeing patients. Well, did the Pharisees do something similar? Jesus calls out in 42 and says, but woe to you Pharisees, for you pay the tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. So here we have again the difference between the employee handbook and the job description. The employee handbook, the thing that applies to all Jews, Pharisees, and the regular Jews alike, and to all Christians, is the tithe. This is the thing that all of us are called to do. It's in the employee handbook. And the Pharisees were very good about this. In fact, they were so good, and they took such pride that in their little gardens at home, they would get this little dill or, dill or mint plant, this little thing, and they'd measure out, okay, 10% of my dill, and they'd cut it off, and they'd put it on the side and say, do that. And then they'd take the next little plant, and they'd measure out 10%, and they'd go, and they'd come, and they'd bring that to the temple, and they'd feel all good about themselves. Look at how pious I am. I even tithe my garden surplus, my garden growth. Employee handbook. All of us are to do that. It's good. But what didn't they do as they were focusing on these details? Yet disregard justice and the love of God. 
Their job description is to go out and seek and protect justice for the weak, to portray the love of God. And they didn't do that. They didn't see any patience. Dr. Joe was too busy following the rules and organizing his desk and being all proud of himself to actually go out and see any patience. Seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Woe to you Pharisees, for you pay the tithe and the mint, but you disregard justice and the love of God. These things you should have done, seeking justice and loving God. Do your job without neglecting the others. It's not that the tithing was wrong. It was right. They should be doing that. But you do that without neglecting your actual job description. Another problem that the Pharisees had was that they were glorifying self. They loved the glory that they got from their position. Jesus says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Now, enjoying these things isn't necessarily a bad thing, but if your purpose for being in the position you're in is to get accolades, that's a problem. Of course, we don't suffer from any of this, right? No, good, good. I'm glad we don't suffer from any of this. This is great. This is one of those areas where, and we're going to talk about it in the next section too, where it's much easier to see this fault in others than it is to see it in ourselves. So we'll, we'll look at some others for a second. Have you ever been in a large church and there is somebody that is just dying? They can't wait for their turn to pray so that, and you're just pretty sure it's so that they can show you how well they pray. Or there's the person that's standing up in front that is worshiping and waving their arms around. That's a good thing if you're called to do that. But you've been watching them for a while and you're pretty sure that they only do it when they think other people are looking. That, ooh, people are looking at me. I want them to see how holy I am. I'm going to stand here and do all this. I've actually seen some folks that do that. They're not actually worshiping God. What they're doing is trying to garner attention for themselves. They want others to see how awesome and how pious they are. Or maybe it's a Sunday school teacher that really wants to impress you with how much knowledge they have about the Bible. I I wouldn't know anything about that myself. I'm very, very, very impressed, Reed. Well done. My point is, is that we look at this and say, oh, well, we, we wouldn't do that. That doesn't, that doesn't mean, that doesn't apply to us at all. But if we take a second, maybe it does. Do you ever find yourself doing something to fit in, even, to get along? Maybe it's not even that you want people to see how pious you are, you just don't want to stand out as being weird, so you will go along with whatever it is they, the group is doing. It's not because you're really honoring God with all of this, you just don't want to be called out as being strange. That kind of leads us into our third woe that Jesus talks about. And this one starts off and strikes us as kind of strange until we think about it a little bit. In verse 44, Jesus says, Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. Now, this is, seems kind of strange, except that, if we recall, much of the law of Moses was ceremonial law that 
was meant to illustrate the holiness of God. And there were means and ways to become ceremonially unclean. And if you were ceremonially unclean, you weren't allowed to do certain things, enter the temple at certain times, participate in certain events, religious events. One of the ways to become ceremonially unclean was to touch a dead body or to even walk over a grave. What he's saying is you are like concealed graves. You Pharisees are like concealed graves that people are walking over. And they don't realize that they have been infected by your error, that they are now unclean. Sometimes when we follow our own traditions, when we do things that aren't in here, when we behave in ways that bring glory to ourselves, or when we focus on minutiae instead of where we're actually called to do, when we're focused on the employee handbook and not on doing our job, we inadvertently lead others into that same error. And as we do that, I'm reminded of something that Jesus said that is kind of scary. He said that stumbling blocks will occur. It will happen. But woe to those, here's another woe, woe to those through whom they occur. For whomever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a 2,000-pound stone strapped to his neck and be tossed into the sea. Jesus apparently takes this stuff pretty seriously. Perhaps we should as well. In Matthew, Jesus also says, You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you. This people honors me with their lips. They say the right things. They talk a lot. They pray the right prayers. They sound good but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. That's harsh language. In vain they worship me. Because they are following teachings, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. They are teaching as if it's in here, things they made up. Again, we don't do that, right? No, no, we don't do that. But other Christians do, so we'll point at them for a minute. There are some traditions religious traditions that will teach us that we are to pray to angels. Say, well, oh, we don't do that. It's not in here. There are those that say, you're not allowed to eat meat. We don't do that. We're Baptists. We love meat. What would a potluck be without meat? Oh, we could think of example of example of other denominations, other traditions that have all of these problems that teach doctrines of men as if they're scripture. And we can point at them and we can very easily see their error. But that should give us pause. And it should make us ask the question, what are we doing? What are we adding to scripture? What are we doing as traditions and holding on to that? And you might think, well, we don't ever do anything like that. Well, have you ever been in a church that has arguments about, say, worship style? We must sing traditional hymns. Maybe you've been in a church that absolutely insists that you must preach and read out of the original King James Version, because that's the version that Jesus read out of. King James was written in 1611, by the way, 1,600 years after Jesus, just in case you don't get that joke. Um, I'm not 
I like the King James Version. I'm not saying anything bad about it. But we'll get hung up on things that are not doctrinal. We do this ourselves. And the danger is, is that as we do this, we have the possibility of leading others into error. And we have to remember, this is a wonderful story. I don't really have time to tell the whole story. But basically, Samuel is going to, at the request of God, going to find the replacement for King Saul. And he goes to Jesse. And Jesse lines up all of his sons. And the first son is big, strapping young man. Looks very kingly. And Samuel's going, ooh, this must be the guy. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We spent several weeks going through what Cody referenced earlier, and that is the one and only one eternally significant question. It is not, what version of the Bible do you read, though there are some that are not good. It is not, what style of worship you have. It is not, even though I'm going to offend some Baptists here, it is not whether you sprinkle an infant or baptize in immersion. That is not the eternally significant question. The one and only one eternally significant question is who is the person of Jesus Christ? If we get that answer right, then the rest of it flows. If we focus all of our attention on the Word of God, the living, breathing, interactive Word of God, and now we can engage in the rest of those conversations focused on Jesus Christ grounded in Scripture. While it's easy to look at the silly example of Dr. Joe, while it's easy to look at other denominations and see how they suffer from externalism, from focusing on rules, how they can be distracted by details. We see others glorifying self instead of glorifying God. And we can say, yes, it's, it's scary to have those folks infecting others with their error. We don't get the opportunity and we don't get the privilege of pointing fingers at other people. What we can do is look inwardly at ourselves. So I'm going to ask each and every one of you today to be thinking about your walk with God. Are you truly relying, one, on nothing but the blood of Jesus? Are you truly seeking a relationship with Jesus Christ? An interactive relationship, one that defines every aspect of your time, not inside these walls, but out there? Or are you relying on your church attendance? Are you relying on the fact that, sure, I read the Bible occasionally. I pray sometimes. Are you reading the employee handbook and following that, or are you actually seeking after God and going after the job description? What is your job description? There are some that have a very clear job description, that have figured out exactly what their calling is. There are some of you that may not know what God has truly called you to do, what your job is. What is it he expects when you get out those doors? We're out of time, so I don't get to tell you the answer to that question. <laughs> Very convenient for me, isn't it? But I can tell you where to find it. You can find it right here, where all truth is found. Jesus prayed that we would be sanctified in truth, and then defined what truth is. Your word, Father, is truth. This is where you can find it. I've been saying for the last several weeks that we need to be engaged in extraordinary prayer. 
leading up to our revival coming up here in the summer. And what is that definition of extraordinary prayer? Extra ordinary. That also applies to your Bible study, I said last week. And last week I challenged each of you to extraordinary Bible study and Bible reading. And what is extraordinary Bible study and Bible reading? Extra ordinary. Whatever is ordinary for you, do a little extra. Just a little bit. Take one step farther than where you currently are. Don't allow yourself to be comfortable, but seek after God and ask Him what that next step would be. Yeah, you're not allowed to be comfortable. No. No. We're going to sing a song here just as I am. And the song that we're going to sing, I love it because Jesus Christ truly does accept you just as you are. And what do I say every week? He loves you far too much to leave you that way. He is not going to allow you to stay where you are if you are truly seeking after him, if you are truly internalizing his message and seeking after the job description and not allowing yourself to be distracted and wholly focused on the employee handbook. So we'll pray here for a second, and then as we do, we'll ask you to stand and go ahead and stand with me now as we pray, and then we'll sing this song. I will. I will. In fact, we'll pray here. And as we're praying, I'd like each of you to be praying along with me. And I'd like you to be asking God to take your relationship to whatever that next step is. Are you really secure in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Great. Ask him to make you insecure in that relationship and take you to a place of discomfort. Are you insecure with your relationship, not knowing where you stand with Jesus Christ right now? That's a very honest place to be, and I'd ask you to ask him to reveal to you that next step. And if you'd like to come up and pray with me, I'll be right down here and we'll pray together. Let's start that by praying together right now. Father, Father God, we thank you for the chance to be here today. We thank you for the ultimate sacrifice paid by your Son, that we are covered, that all of our sins, all of our inequities are covered through the blood of Jesus Christ, and that by his sacrifice, we can stand holy and blameless and righteous in front of you, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. We thank you that you love us too much to leave us where we are. We thank you that you are constantly working in our lives and even though we sometimes focus on the minutia and we get off track, that you are constantly there and, and steady, ready to pull us back if we'll just repent and turn to you. God, as we go throughout this week and as we evaluate our relationship with you, we ask that you would truly internalize your message for each and every one of us. It's so easy to put on a mask. It's so easy to pretend to be who you, we think you want us to be and never truly submit ourselves to you. So we ask for the strength to do that this week. God, we love you and we praise you. It's the name of Jesus that we do pray. Amen. Amen.